Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 258. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And Jackie is joining us again via Skype this week. I am down here in Florida. You are still in New York. Yeah, we gotta stop meeting like this. Yeah, I know. But we are here this week to review and discuss Melody Time, coming off of our conversation um, in regards to Once Upon a Studio, the short film that celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. We started thinking about those classic Walt-era films, and we wanted to touch on some of them, of course, the ones that we haven't gotten to yet, and Melody Time came up as a very natural pick. We wanted something that was animation-related, but this is very classic Walt Disney, because it falls into that same realm as a Fantasia, where you have very beautiful animation mixed with music and sound. This is just very much in classic Walt Disney wheelhouse. And I think you could also make the argument that it's classic Roy, because we are still, you know, in this post-war era where the budgets were very tight and Walt was sort of doing the best with what he had to work with as far as the budget goes. You know, that was something that we learned from watching Fantasia that the Sorcerer's Apprentice segment was supposed to be a feature film. Um, and they ended up having to cut it down to a short because they just didn't have the budget to do it full out. So I think that's what we're seeing here, especially there's two vignettes in particular that we're going to talk about that I could see where they were probably going to be the features and they ended up cutting them down. I know the exact two that you're talking about. Yeah, because there are seven vignettes here. They're basically all disjointed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't work. Does this work like Fantasia did? How does it compare to Fantasia? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections. All right. Let's, we're going to go vignette from vignette. I think that that's the only way that we can do this. Yeah, I think it would be a bit redundant if you did every single plot now and then we went back to talk about them. All right. Especially because they are so tied to the music. I mean, that's the whole point of this, right? Is that the animation styles are... Um, you know, just like Fantasia, it's it's being brought to life by the composition. Uh, one thing that I do want to mention, though, before we get into the individual vignettes, these opening credits here, it's sort of a medley of what we're going to see, but there were a lot of familiar names uh, in the opening. And what surprised me the most is how much this seemed to inform Mickey's PhilharMagic, the way that the... I mean, I love how they did it with the ink and paintbrush. I thought that, yeah. that was so cool. Uh, I love the Mary Blair style of it all. Um, 
but in that initial painting, they sketched out um, sort of the the stage yes. with the curtain. And the way that that stage was detailed, to me, it just read Mickey's PhilharMagic. Yeah, and the funny thing is that like nothing from this is found in Philhar Magic, other no. than other than that design, which I would like to think that maybe they pulled from that, especially because Donald Duck is featured in one of the vignettes here. Exactly, exactly, um, and I think that also has to do with um, this was also period that period of time where. Mickey's popularity was sort of waning. So I think that's why we didn't get like a Mickey short within this context. And they, they instead leaned on Donald a little bit to touch on your point real quick about none of these films appearing in Philhar magic. I think the irony of that is how many other films appear in this because there is recycled animation abound. I didn't catch a lot of that, so I'm interested when you point it out. But let's start moving through some of these, well, all of these vignettes. Starting with the opening one, Once Upon a Wintertime, we see two young lovers and two bunny rabbits out for a romantic sleigh ride. They go skating on a frozen pond, and the young man's attempts to woo his date fail. And as she grows frustrated and attempts to leave him on the ice, she goes the wrong way, as does the young female rabbit. They end up on thin ice, which breaks apart and sends the ice floating towards a waterfall. The gentlemen are knocked out, so the horses from the sleigh, along with help from two squirrels and two birds, rescue the girls who forgive their dates as they ride off for more adventures. So, um, here's the thing. I have a very unique connection to this short because really? uh well yeah this was on a disney christmas special in the 1980s one of these wonderful world of disney we put a bunch of vignettes together and my parents taped it and it was just the disney christmas special that we would watch every year at christmas this was one of the vignettes on there I never knew that. I had never seen it. Um, I was pretty impressed with this. First of all, Mary Blair is just the goat. I don't I don't know how many times I'm going to say that during this review. I'll try not to say it too many, but my gosh, this is where she truly shines. Um, that opening title card, Becoming the Window Pane, the way that they pulled off that effect, I, I think that could rival anything that they achieved in Frozen. It was just so beautiful. Um, same thing with the ice skating sequence. I love how, you know, they were drawing hearts in the ice. I thought that was really nice. Um, I feel like the uh, the girlfriend, I think it's fair to call her a girlfriend, uh, because as you said, he's the, the gentleman is trying to woo her. Um, I think her reaction is a bit extreme. She got a little bit of ice on her. And then she storms off in a huff. I mean, I know a lot of this is being motivated by the music and, and the composition, and that's what they're animating it to. But, um, it, you know, it, it, it just escalates very quickly. Um, 
but I still liked it. Um, I thought the, the thin ice bit was really cool. And the fact that, you know, the women are so upset, they're just ignoring all the warning signs because they want nothing to do with these two jamokes. And, uh, you know, that ends up biting them. I love that the rabbits are mirroring everything that the humans are doing. To your point, they are, they are so frustrated that they're not paying attention to the ice that's cracking around them. This would never actually happen because if water's running like this, it, especially by a waterfall, it's not going to freeze over like that, but we're willing to overlook that for the sake of a story here. But to your point, things escalate quickly and then they de-escalate just as quickly. They almost yeah. go over a waterfall and the two gentlemen do nothing to stop them because they are knocked unconscious and... As soon as they get rescued by these six animals, we're back to just singing Once Upon a Winter Time, and we ride off into the sunset to go have more fun. I thought that that was a funny little twist, though, that they get credit for the save when they did absolutely zero. Um, so that was kind of a fun little way to end the short. Um if I'm not mistaken, we're getting some recycled Bambi animation here. Maybe. I didn't catch it, but you might be right. I think um, some of the rabbit skating and when they land in the snow. I, I think it's mostly with the rabbit. I think that that's some recycled thumper. But there are several more instances where it's it's a carbon copy and I'm a lot more confident in my assumption. Yeah. And the song, we'll go, we'll mention the songs here too. Um, Once Upon a Winter Time, performed by Francis Langford. Um, I think that it's a timeless song. And maybe I'm in the minority because I grew up with this as a yearly Christmas video that we used to watch. But as soon as it came on, I went right back to being like five years old in my footy pajamas with hot cocoa watching this as my father's Lionel trains went underneath the Christmas tree. Wow, that is that is just such like a Christmas core memory. Even even though that's not my memory, like what the picture that you just painted, uh, that just does sound like such a quintessential Christmas. What I'm really surprised about is that we don't see this more prominently um, in some of the merch during the holidays. Like I'm surprised that at studios they don't take this and run with it, especially with the Mary Blair style animation or not, not just at studios, but couldn't you see something like this at the contemporary resort? Like they always have such rare merch there. I'm surprised they haven't done anything like this, like a knit sweater uh, with this couple and the rabbits or, or with the animals or something. Yeah. Uh, are we ready to move on to our next vignette? Yes. Okay. It's called Bumble Boogie. We see a young bumblebee fly from flower to flower. However, the flowers, looking like musical instruments, start to fight back against the bee. They turn into a large snake and chase the bee before turning into butterflies as they chase him through the sky. This is Alice in Wonderland. It, makes... it is straight Alice in Wonderland. Uh, it's not recycled because Alice in Wonderland came out three years after this, but 
because we know that Alice in Wonderland went through nine different directors and a whole bunch of production issues, they were probably working on it at the same time. But everything from the flowers, those are golden afternoon, the caterpillars. Um, in this one, they have like these big chunky blocks that are uh, falling into water. Those are the cards and the butterfly. Like this is straight up Alice in Wonderland. The animation looks great. I mean, it it, it's it spectacular. Does. And Flight of the Bumblebee makes sense. Yeah, I, I do like that it was a take on that. Um, that that all worked, but um, I'm just wondering which came first, the chicken or the egg, if they had done this and decided to use it for Alice because it was working, or if they had it for Alice and just pulled it in because they weren't sure if it would see it would ever see the light of day. Yeah, and it was a very quick vignette. I mean, that that's literally, that's the whole thing right there. It's quick, it's in and out. We have another one that comes up later that's, like, just as fast. I mean, frankly, there's not much else to say, right? I mean, like, I understand that they would want to get something like this in here, given what they were inspired from, or what they were inspired off of, I should say, but this very much kind of felt like filler. Like, it, it, it looked great. I enjoyed watching it. But it sort of just felt like three minutes of screen time just to have three minutes of screen time. Like, when I look at things and say, like, this feels disjointed, this is one of those instances where it kind of feels like it. Well, I guess while we're on the topic, this is a good time to bring up the pacing because... Um, you know, there's no through line like Fantasia. Fantasia always brought it back to the introduction of the piece. They bring it back to the orchestra. Yeah. Even though the individual vignettes are so different, it feels a lot more cohesive. This doesn't. So what do you think of, you know, do you think they should have saved the, the longer shorts till the end and front loaded the shorter ones? Or do you think it feels even more jaggedy because the lengths vary so much? I think it feels more jaggedy because the lengths vary so much because what the, the vignette that we're about to get into is the second longest vignette in the film. So you went from a, you know, what, five minute, six minute vignette to a three minute vignette to like a 15 minute vignette. So, and then, and then again, after that, it goes down to five and then it goes down to like three again. And so it, it does, it, it, there's a little too much wavering, I think between time. Yeah. I'm okay with it fluctuating a little bit. Like I'm not suggesting, okay, the three minute one should go first, then the four minute, then the five minute, like it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, that, regimented but i would have put johnny appleseed at the back end with pecos bill and save those as your two sort of what you're building to uh because this is one that even though well you know what let's let, let's yeah. give the plot first before I say too much. Yes. The Legend of Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed collects apples and thanks the Lord for being so good to him. Johnny sees how many covered wagons bring more and more settlers heading west. He wishes to be a pioneer and his guardian angel tells him that he too can be a pioneer and head west. In spite of the fact that Johnny doesn't necessarily believe that he can. 
But he does so, and as he does, he plants apple seeds and makes friends with animals and with pioneers as he spreads his faith. People around him begin to spread his positivity and farming techniques as Johnny watches quietly from a distance. Johnny eventually passes away and is visited by his guardian angel who tells him that they are short on apple trees in heaven. So he heads there to continue his work. Book! So it starts on a book. So yeah. this, if there's anything that's going to feel like classic Disney, it's the legend of Johnny Appleseed. Right. And what I was starting to say before I was getting too far ahead of myself, this felt like it could have been a feature that they cut down. But then I was like, was that the case? Because this seems so intentional because everything rhymes. This is one of the few, uh, or it might be the sole uh, short here where it's a story song, but there's a rhyme scheme throughout the entire thing. So I don't know that this was cut down because the song is so intentional. But let's start with the song, though. Um, this was surprisingly religious. I was not expecting that. I have, I mean, you know, I'm not adverse to it. I have no feeling about it one way or the other. I was just surprised they went for it. Yeah, uh, Dennis Day narrating and performing the song Johnny Appleseed. Um, I mean, listen, they're telling the story of Johnny Appleseed, so it's it's sort of hard to tell that story and have it not be rooted very much in this in its, you know, uh, subject matter. So uh, that's what the story is. Disney would never make this story today. This would never get made today. Um, Was Johnny Appleseed... A hyper-religious story? Did I, I miss something? I, I believe Johnny Appleseed. I'm going to look it up now, but I was always under the impression that that was sort of the background for the character. Honestly, I don't remember. I mean, I, you know, I remember learning the fable in school, but past... Johnny Appleseed, you know, went into the frontier and planted apple trees. I got nothing past that. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of trying to like look this up as we speak here. I'm I don't want to take too much time away. And and maybe it's just because all right, Johnny Appleseed, hang on. Bum Yes, no, he was a missionary for the new church. So that is, yes, that is oh. the story of Johnny Appleseed. Well, they left John... that out of New York public schools. Mm -hmm. They still do. <laughs> they still do. Um, okay, interesting. All right, so that, that kind of puts a different spin on this. Um, what I thought was really cool, too, was that uh, it's all voiced by the same person. You've got, like, three speaking characters, but Johnny, the guardian angel, and the uh, the pioneers are, are all the same voice. This felt like uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow when Bing Crosby was narrating yes! and singing. That's what this felt like. Even just the way that Johnny looks, especially as he's aging, it reminded me of Ichabod Crane, but I thought the same thing. Um, the animation is stunning overall. Like, I love how they did the countryside. 
um, especially as the trees start to grow. Um, the only thing that I bump on a little bit, the first song didn't really work for me because he's singing about how content he is, uh, you know, and he's, he's thanking the Lord for this work that he gets to do. Um, but then he, as soon as he sees the wagon, he wants for more. He wants to be part of it. And they do write to it because he's like, no, I could never do that. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the skill. And then the angel, you know, talks him in, his guardian angel talks him into it. Um, but I feel like, and maybe I'm just brainwashed by the Howard Ashman era of Disney. I feel like we should have had the I want song. And then when the wagons come through, it's, oh, I see why he, he feels the need to go. Well, they're not going to do that with a vignette. It's going to be one song. No, that's, and that's too much. I'm asking for too much character development. I realize that. Because uh, there's there's just not enough time. Speaking of time, I could have cut out before he died. I didn't need to see the whole thing. But I guess knowing what we know now that this is so based in religion that they probably did want to show the the full circle that he's getting into heaven. Well, it's not only that, but I think that they wanted to show uh, what a decent man he was because ultimately he doesn't want to die. He says as much that he's not ready. And they go, well, we're short on apples in heaven. And he's like, oh, okay, let's go to work. Because, you know, that's, they're giving him, like at the end of the day, he's a simple man. He obviously has a great affinity for his Lord and he has a great affinity for his work. And now he gets to combine both of them. I think that they just wanted to wrap that story up. It was, it was surprising to see, but I wasn't adverse to how they ended this, this vignette whatsoever. Uh, I, I just, I guess I just mean, I didn't need it to be a downer and it wasn't because he, he loved what he did so much. He's happy to continue in his afterlife. Um, I just didn't need it to end on the downer because this character that we've gotten attached to is now passed away. So it's kind of sad. And you see him, you know, he's, he's a little old man with a long beard and no shoes. I, I guess that's it. I mean, like I said, I'm asking for way too much for, uh, from a short, but, I would have liked to see how he was surviving besides the apples, you know, or like, it, especially in the scene where he's peering in on, you know, not Thanksgiving per se, but it is a community that's been built around his orchards and they're thriving and they've got all of these different apple dishes, um, you know, and he's, he's watching from afar and he's not partaking in it. I would have liked to see that in exchange for him feeding everyone, these families are putting him up. Like there's an exchange too, you know? And I guess that's why I'm sort of sad when he passes at the end, because it seems that he was very lonely. Meanwhile, he was doing this amazing thing. I can see your point. Um, I think, I think they told a great story. I think they obviously told a very full story. They did. It just left me wanting more. I don't feel like anything was left out. There was just a little bit more that I wanted from it. Well, I have news for you. I'm not positive of most things, but I can say without absolute certainty that unfortunately we're not going to get the live action remake of Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> 
nor are we going to get the live-action remake of our next vignette, Little Toot. We meet a small, mischievous tugboat named Little Toot, who wishes to be like his father, Big Toot. When his fooling around embarrasses his father, Little Toot tries too hard to help. When he sends a large ship careening into the New York skyline, he gets arrested and his father is sent to haul trash. He leaves the city and heads to the sea where he gets caught in a storm along with another ship. He sends an SOS signal and helps rescue the large ship, redeeming himself and his father in the process. This is a bop. This is hands down the catchiest song in Melody Time. Yes, uh, the song Little Toot performed by the Andrews sisters. Um, I mean, you may not know them by name, but if you've heard any music from this era, you're going to know the Andrews sisters. I think the animation is good. And I think it's a good redemption story. And the song, yes, is obviously very timely for when the film was released. But that's really all I have on this vignette. I mean, it's it's just very kind of quick. I, I guess there doesn't need to be much more to it, but it doesn't really move the needle for me. Which is funny because the needle moves on this story so drastically. Um, you know, yeah, it, it's very quick. But it's so extreme. I mean, one moment you've got this cute little mischievous tugboat and you're thinking this is a story of he's going to get his comeuppance. And the next thing you know, there's an entire ocean liner in New York City, not in Crash into the Harbor, Crash into the skyscrapers. And then they go so far as to show like ambulances, the police rolling up to the scene of this wreck. And then, you know, it, it breathes a little bit. They take you back out to sea. They lay the punishment on so thick with his father that now the father's pulling the garbage. There's seagulls all over him. And then these two cop boats take little two out to sea, like, so far. Um, and you know that he's going to save the day, but I just feel like it was one extreme to the other. Um, so it's jamming a lot in. It certainly makes the short move quickly. Um, but I, I didn't hate it. I mean, like, I didn't hate it overall, but I, I didn't hate that they were giving you so much, and it did go to those extremes. It was kind of fun, actually. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. That's, like I said, it, to me, it didn't do much. I, I can't say much more than it was fine. This pacing, though is very odd with what comes out of it because the next vignette is trees. Yep. And it was a poem, I believe it was. Um, it's also the entire April shower sequence from Bambi. Yeah. So as the seasons change, so do our trees in the forest. And we see the seasonal effects on the animals and the insects who live in said trees. I mean, that's literally the entire thing. Um, where, where this stands out is the animation. It, 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 like some of the best use of the multiplane camera that we've ever seen from, from that classic Disney animation. 
Um, since Bambi. Yeah, sure, since Bambi. Um, and, I, I mean, the fact that you're kind of telling us the story of a nature documentary, like, it's interesting enough on its own, but there really isn't a story here. I'm not sure that there needs to be, but there isn't really a story here at all. It's 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 trees. Spring. People are people are about to be Twitter paid. It, it is Bambi. I, like I can't. That's really all I took away from it. I was so distracted because I was like, this is the entire sequence. The field mouse, the quails. It it is everything. It was it was straight Bambi. This is recycled animation. Um, but yeah, it was just so jarring that this came after Little Toot. And you know what? would have maybe created more of a through line was if they had put this uh, closer to Bumble Boogie or closer to Once Upon a Winter Time and, and it would have felt more like the through line was moving through the seasons. I think that it could have even worked with Johnny Appleseed because, you know, it's about growth and harvest. Um, even little too, you know, their boats that kind of reminds you of summer. I may be reaching, but like that would have been a nice thing to look for and be able to find that through line if it had been about the seasons. But the only reason that I am associating trees with the spring at all is because of Bambi. Yeah. And Bambi is the four seasons. All right. Moving on to blame it on the Samba. Donald Duck and uh, Jose uh, Carioca have lost their color and meet the Araquin bird who introduces them to the Samba, helping them boost their mood and return their color. The mischievous bird, who is also the clown of the jungle, causes chaos around the pair as they dance to the music of a pianist. Um, I love that the music, the song Blame It on the Samba by Ethel, uh, Ethel Smith and the Dinning Sisters, um, I love that that it's the music that kind of revives them, for a lack of a better word, that returns the color to Donald and Jose. Because we obviously know Donald and Jose from the Three Caballeros. You know, you want to talk about an earworm. So, like, that, those characters are so deeply rooted in music that I'm glad that they found a through line there where they continue to connect music to these, to these beloved characters. That is a better way of looking at it because to me, the live action took me right out of it. Um, sure, that works in the Three Caballeros, but for here, I guess that's why they saved Blame It on the Samba and Pecos Bill towards the end because they both contain live action actors. Um, but I, I could have done without it. I kind of wish this was all straight animation because I, I thought it seemed very jarring. I thought that the animation and the live action was seamless together, actually. I, I thought that they blended it really well. It sort of does come out of nowhere because in no other short up to this point have we seen live action. But if And there's no intro to it either. There's no book. There's no... Yeah ink and paint. That's why it just felt like such a, a splash of cold water. But if you're trying to connect it to the three Caballeros, then it would make sense to do it, especially because to your point, it does lead us into Pecos Bill. Right. And I guess they figure in for a penny in for a pound at this point, if we're having 
the the one live act. And I mean, if you're getting Roy Rogers, like you can kind of do whatever you want at this point. Yes. So Roy Rogers tells Luana Patton and Bobby Driscoll. They're not acting, but well, I mean, they're acting, but they're not playing characters. They're playing themselves. He tells them the story of Pecos Bill, a young boy tossed from a covered wagon and raised by coyotes on the prairie. Bill grows up to rescue his horse Widowmaker from buzzards and become one of the greatest cowboys of all time. He brought gold to the hills of the Old West by knocking out the fillings of his energy uh, enemies and brought rain from California to form the Gulf of Mexico on top of many other things that formed the great Lone Star State known as Texas. At least eventually that's where this kind of goes. One day he meets Slew Foot Sue and its love at first sight and after a quick courtship becomes engaged. Uh, for their wedding, Sue wishes to ride Widowmaker, who wants nothing to do with her. He tosses her off of his back, and because of her uh, large bustle under her dress, she starts to bounce higher and higher and higher and higher. And as Pecos goes to lasso her to bring her down, Widowmaker steps on the end of the rope, and he just narrowly misses. As Sue is flown to the moon and Bill goes back to live with the coyotes and howls at the moon to howl at his lost love. And we learn in that moment, not only how the old West was formed, not only how the state of Texas was formed, but why coyotes howl at the moon. I like how you clarified that her bustle is under her dress. So as to come off like a gentleman. Nobody thought you were talking about her, but... Well, listen. Let anybody say chivalry's dead. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Again, I go back and forth on the open here. I mean, I do appreciate the storytelling around the campfire that leads us into the animation. However, it starts on animation. Then we go to the live action. Then we go back. So, if I thought Blame It on the Samba was jarring... This is even more so. But I'm not going to say that we should have done without it because, again, you got Roy Rogers and the first two kids with a Disney contract. Um, these two, I mean, Bobby Driscoll is pretty recognizable. But for me, one of the movies that I grew up on uh, because my grandparents showed it to me was So Dear to My Heart. So I recognized them from So Dear to My Heart right away. But we also know them from Fun and Fancy Free and from Song of the South. Um, so I would say that Disney certainly got their money's worth out of this contract. For sure. And the the backgrounds, in regards to the animation, the backgrounds are unbelievable. They're stunning. Um, and when they blended it in... I think this in... is the best animation in, in the whole... Uh, in, in all of Melody Time. I would agree. And when they blended it into the live action... It was a little jarring at first, but it looked great. Um, I think that it's a very interesting story to tell, the story of Pecos Bill. Um, I found the story, for the most part, to be fun, because it's like one of these tall tales, right? So it was interesting to see how this tall tale played out. Now, there was the patented... Disney Plus warning label that came before this film. And the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
what did they do so wrong? And and for a moment yes. I went, tell me it's because of Johnny Appleseed spreading, spreading Christianity that you put this, right? this warning label. No, it's how the painted desert was formed. And I went, oh, we have gone the way of what makes the red man red. Yikes. Yeah, this one was a little, this was a little jarring. I think this one was far worse because I, agree. I thought the same thing as you. I'm getting through the whole movie. You know, we're in the last vignette. And I was like, so far, so good. If this is about Johnny Appleseed, we're being way too extreme. And then we get to this point, And I was like, and here we are. Um, honestly, I was shocked. Because not only is it a poor depiction of Native Americans, the unprovoked shooting at them, my jaw was on the floor. And I was like, clearly no one has seen this movie because the fact that we still have a restaurant in Disney that serves amazing burgers, by the way, called Pecos Bill, but Splash Mountain is the thing that's gone? I was like, nobody is watching this movie. Don't, no one has seen it, clearly. Do not give people another soapbox to stand on just for the sake of, and that's the thing. Nobody knows where Pecos Bill has come from because I don't think a lot of people have seen this, quite honestly. At the end of the day, I, just, I don't think people have seen this movie. No one has seen it. There is no way that this would be represented in the parks if people knew about this scene. And it's not only that, it's really not cool how Slewfoot Sue, Sue is objectified throughout this entire thing. You were at least a gentleman pointing out her bustle, but the way that she's got to walk through the town, she's being catcalled. And, you know, just even in the lyrics, the way that they're speaking about her, I was like, this whole thing is in pretty poor taste. But... Let's talk about some of the things that they did do right. Well, let me, than... before, I got to interrupt. Let me ask you a question, though. No, have at it. Slewfoot Sue, I couldn't tell if it was just character design and music in poor taste, or if she is supposed to be to take a term that kind of surprised you from the, uh, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow is she supposed to be our little coquette Katrina? Because in that film, Katrina knows what she's doing, and she's doing it intentionally. And I couldn't really tell if that's what Sue was doing here. I, I almost felt like they were leaning into the idea that she was getting off on this and she was playing with people. Um, that is an interesting take on it. Um, I, I think had they made that more clear and, and she was empowered, then that would have made a big difference. I mean, it, it wouldn't have made a difference because the lyrics are what they are and they're not great. Um, but I think that if they had put the character more in control of it, um, Especially because, and I guess that's why I didn't read into it that way, because, you know, she's a cowgirl. It, it takes a lot of, 
you know, chutzpah to do that, especially because she's so confident when it comes time to ride Widowmaker. And that's what I was going to say about one of the things they did do right. I, I love the concept of a horse named Widowmaker. And that really is the whole arc here, right? Is that they're expecting Widowmaker to, to kill Sue before she marries Pecos Bill. And in a way, he kind of does. But that's the thing. Because she's so confident, she does come off, or, or I think they should have leaned into making her more of like a tough chick that's not going to take any any crap from anyone. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they needed to sort of draw that line a little bit more. Because you're right, even, you know, I, I think the comparison to Sleepy Hollow is fair. Um, she's drawn a certain way. I mean, she's not like Jessica Rabbit, where it's very much in your face and overt. But, um, you know, I, I think they certainly leaned into the idea with the animation, but I just wish they would have given more power back to the character. And it wouldn't have seemed like she was being totally objectified. But you wanted to talk about some of the things that they did right. So let's talk about some of the things that they did right. Uh, yeah, Widowmaker for me is at the top of that list. And we had talked a little bit about the animation, but uh, to me the most stunning animation was that desert night sky scene. Uh, I thought that was incredible. Yeah, it was really well done. Um it made me miss traditional hand-drawn animation. Again, it made me miss the multi-plane camera. All of those hallmarks that were classic, classic Disney animation. Um, there were two songs in this vignette, and if I'm being honest with you, I didn't realize that there were two songs in this vignette. Pecos Bill and Blue Shadows on the Trail. Um, to me, it, it kind of felt like it was all in the same, but they were just taking like breaks in the action. Like, the songs are fine. They're good. And, I mean, Roy Rogers is incredible. Um, so no no shade thrown at Roy Rogers. I just didn't realize that it was two different songs. Sonically, I think you realize it, but because of the way they're woven into the story and because they're setting up this idea of it's a campfire story, yeah, I, I thought it was just a tone shift within the same song. I didn't realize it was being counted as two separate ones. Yeah. But, I mean, otherwise, I don't have much else on this other than I thought that it was an interesting story. I, I thought I, I thought it was interesting that that's how we... That's how the coyotes started to howl at the moon. I thought that that was a reasonable way to wrap everything up, considering that the whole purpose of the story was to tell the story of the impact that Pecos Bill had on the Old West. So... I thought to wrap it up in that in that respect, it made sense. Yeah, and this is the other one that I was thinking of that had the potential to be a feature that they cut down. Yes, agreed. Um, I guess final thoughts on on Melody Time. I'll go first. Uh, I, I I didn't I didn't struggle with this the way we struggled with Fantasia. Uh, writing out that plot made me want to uh, run out of the house screaming. I haven't watched Fantasia since. Um, it's not a movie that I'm going to go back and rewatch an awful lot anyway. Uh, but at least with this, I think batting lead off with something that meant so much to me as a kid softened it. Um, is it cohesive? Not at all. 
I mean, at least with Fantasia, you're watching a musical performance. This does feel like a bunch of things thrown together. Um, is it bad? It's certainly not bad. Is it a fun watch? It is a fun watch. Does it feel like classic Disney from the 40s with the music and the animation? Yes, it does. Um, is it my favorite Walt-era animated film? Not even slightly. But it, I'm glad that we watched it. I'm glad that this is how we're leading off the next couple of weeks, really diving into the classic Walt Disney era of this company. I would agree with that. And I think, you know, part of our reasoning behind uh, looking at these films was not only because of the 100th anniversary. I think that we can both admit that you and I have been guilty of complaining a lot about the current state of things. So I feel like this is a good reset to remind us of where this company came from and where things can really shine particularly with the animation. Um, to me, that was the best part about it. I think that the animation was stunning across the board. Um, I think if you've not seen it, it's definitely worth a watch just to delve into that history of the 40s. Um, I think if you like Mary Blair, this is like a must-watch for you. Uh, so it's worth it for that alone. Um Story-wise, I mean, I do like short films. Uh, that's not my issue here, but I, I like a short film that's got, like, a really great twist at the end. And that's not what these are about. These are just about bringing the music to life. Um, so for me, this doesn't have a lot of rewatchability. It's not because I didn't like it. It's just not my favorite. But I did enjoy it while I was watching it. And I think this is something that if you're looking to dip your toes back in to this period of animation, this is a good one to watch because it does hit on everything as far as the music, as far as this style. Um, and Lord knows everything is rolled into one because of the recycled animation. Well, we want to know what you have to say about Melody Time. Have you seen it? Is it on your list of favorite classic Walt-era films? You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets or email me directly, monorealradio at gmail.com. And you're going to want to do that because... It is holiday time at Disney, and with it comes the 
holiday snacks. They just released the snack guide, and Disney is going so hard this year. This guide is massive. Massive. I didn't anticipate it would be this much, I'll be honest with you. No, and I mean, I'm not even sweating how you and I are going to do this because it's impossible to get to everything. What I am sweating is how we're even going to narrow down what it is that we want to try. Yeah, there's almost too much. So I'm going to kind of go through this here. And as as I see things that I think are are noteworthy, I'll call them out. Because Amaretz, I mean, Amaretz is always good, but I don't like I don't want to like marginalize them. But if you've had Amaretz, you've had Amaretz. You're getting great dessert. But every season you're going to get great dessert. There's there's nothing here that really stands out to me as being any different than what we've had for past Christmas offerings. I think Amaretz is more of a novelty when you're vacationing because to a local, it's looking at it as there's always a dome cake and that's going to switch out with seasonal flavors. Now it seems like this cream puff is becoming a staple because we had one of those for flavors of Florida and it seems like they're switching that out seasonally. Um, The hot cocoa creme brulee though. You are a self-proclaimed, a self-proclaimed creme brulee connoisseur. Wow. Okay. Uh, I knew I was going to get there eventually. Um, I, I mean, of course you're going to try that, right? Oh, of course. But my, but my thing is this. I'm going to try it, but if, if we don't, my heart's not broken about it. Because there is just so much here. That is more unique. I'll tell you this. I Like, the homecoming... At Chef Art Smith's Homecoming, the holiday turkey sandwich, smoked turkey on toasted artisanal bread with cornbread stuffing, sweet and sour cranberry aioli, and house-made potato chips. I'll be more disappointed if I miss that than the creme brulee. See, that's interesting because to me, that's leftovers. That's what you do after Thanksgiving. So I'm, I'm not going to be busting down the door for that. Um, chicken guy, we've yep. got... A holiday cookie shake, yes please. That'll be that'll be a good snack for the way home. Frozen peppermint cocoa shake. That looks pretty good. Um, deluxe burger, the caramel apple pie shake. Ooh, that actually might have chicken guy beat for me. Yeah, I mean they're not doing a seasonal burger. At least they haven't teased it yet. It's just the shake, but I mean don't threaten me with a good time. Caramel apple shake, I'm in. Yeah. Uh, Dockside. Spiced cranberry paloma. I mean, reposado tequila, cranberry juice, grapefruit juice. Might put you out, but I like grapefruit juice. Lime juice and spiced simple syrup. Now, if this is is like all spice, like Christmas spice Mm -hmm. and clove and all that, I'm in. But if this is going to be one of those, hey, do you want some chili in your margarita? It's going to put me, it's going to... Um, it's not going to be for me. Well, it's Paloma, so it's it's going to be a little bit of that smoky profile, but I feel like where it says spiced, it's not going to be like tangy. It's going to be more of those holiday flavors, that nutmeggy, all-spice vibe. Um, I don't like a margarita when grapefruit juice is the only mixer. 
this sounds delicious. We will absolutely be having one at our next Dockside chat. So we'll let you know how it is. Yeah. I love how Everglazed is on here, too, and it just says Holiday Donuts. Like, <laughs> thanks for coming. Um, the Ganachery. Okay, so the Ganachery, for the last few snack-arounds that we've done, for the festivals that they have done at Disney Springs, we have said on the last few Docksides, we've been sleeping on the Ganachery. I'm never sleeping on the Ganachery again. Uh, I, I haven't even looked to see what's there, but I know uh, that I'm going. The gingerbread pecan toffee, that's that's for me. Chocolate peppermint bark, say less. Say less. Olaf hot cocoa surprise. Is this one of these bombs? Yes. Yeah, they've, they've had this for several years. I think Josh Gad did a TikTok or, or a reel of, of his kids putting Olaf Olaf in the uh, in in boiling water. It was pretty funny. Well, we may have to pick one up and bring one home. Yeah. Uh, Gideon's, the Chris okay. Kringle cookie. And we have cookie somehow bomb managed to miss the Christmas offerings at Gideon's last year because we were we were out of town for the holiday. So we've never been able to try the Krampus. That's that comes back every year, I believe. Um, but this Kris Kringle cookie, coconut caramel, like, are you kidding me? Yes, please. Can we talk about Jock Lindsay's? Jock Lindsay showed up to play this year. Now the hot, the hot cocoa seriously. flight last year, the hot cocoa flight was awesome, but they have showed it's up back. to play. I know, but they, no, they're doing it again. It's I know, back. I know they are. And it was amazing. And I believe we got the last two the night that we went, but they showed up to play this year. Yeah, I, w I was like, who are they expecting to come and dine there? Th these are like the hors d'oeuvres that you serve at a fancy party when you know you have some important people to impress. Um, Jock's famous pigs in a blanket. Honestly, I, was, I, I thought this was a thing that we had just missed out on. These are new, I believe. They are. They're just self-proclaimed famous. Uh, but where have you been all my life? Even the picture of them, they are arranged in a wreath. It looks like a beautiful presentation. Uh, oh, ham and cheese treat. The naming here, too. Like, Jock Lindsay's is not messing around. The pastry puff, ham, cheddar cheese, garlic or butter, and a sugar plum jam. I'm and in. they are arranged in the shape of a Christmas tree. It looks beautiful. I bet it's going to be delicious. Cranberry barbecue meatballs with goat cheese. Granny Smith apple, like, oh my God, are you are you serious? This is like all my favorite holiday flavors. I would eat everything here but the deviled egg. Because that, to, like, I, I love eggs. No, I cannot eat deviled eggs. They also always have deviled eggs. So I don't know that I'm going to burn my, my, because already we've, we've talked about like five things that we want to try. There's no way we're getting through all this. Here we come. Um, here we come a croquetting the <laughs> turkey croquettes sweet potato puree bacon cranberry jam turkey gravy and herbed gremolata i mean literally i would order i when we go i would order every i would order all of the food but the deviled eggs and just make yeah. dinner out of it i'm in that's good we can lay the foundation for that dockside margarita um, the post-flight milk and cookies, that was there last year. Maybe I would try that this year instead of the hot chocolate since we got to do the hot chocolate flight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could, 
I could get down with that. Try something different. And then even their drink menu, besides the hot chocolate, they've got one, two, three, four, five cocktails. Five holiday cocktails. One's uh, vodka-based, one's a martini, margarita, um, another vodka, and a ginger mule. But I feel like that's that's more than anyone usually puts out. Yeah, it's it's a lot. I mean, but it but good. You know what I'm saying? Like I I don't expect anything uh, less from them. Uh, let's flip here. I mean, most of most of if not all of the um, uh, restaurants are getting involved. Polite yeah, Polite Moto yeah. is looking like it's all drinks. I don't hate that though. Polite Pig's doing an open turkey sandwich, so kind of similar to what they're doing at at uh, Homecoming, but without the without without it being open face. All right, let's go to Swirls on the Water. I'm gonna jump to Swirls. I am not burning my snack at Swirls on the Water this year. I'm sorry. I'm not going to either because last year it was lackluster. Um, but and it was enormous. Like if you're looking for a big bowl of a sugar bomb, then by all means get the waffle cone nachos. It, which it they're was not just doing. Too much. They're not doing them this year. Instead, it's the Christmas tree Sunday pistachio soft serve. Like this looks to me. This is this seems more appetizing than those nachos were. Um, but the frozen hot cocoa float with salted caramel, uh, and they can also do a version with Knob Creek. But I know from having done the boozy version of their pumpkin uh, yes. thing. Like the, the pumpkin cider with the fireball. Yeah. It is what we did. There was fireball in it. You couldn't really taste it. You could feel it, but not really taste it. But I, I'm telling you, I would not do that again. I, I kind of said it the last time and I'm going to stick with that. Like I'm not going to be going back for that. Oh, see, and I would try a frozen hot chocolate, so... Well, a frozen hot chocolate, yes, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to pay the upcharge to have them put the, the Knob Creek yeah. in it. Okay. Um, Terralina. Let's talk about Terralina for a minute. The Christmas Day special. I, oh, this is available. Okay, so this is only on Christmas Day, Terralina. Yes. That's... Interesting. The Christmas Day special. Grilled lamb chops with cream spinach and artichokes, wild mushroom, and Parmesan risotto cake, mint, and basil sauce topped with crispy leeks, and a poinsettia, which is cranberry mimosa. Um, interesting that they are only getting involved for Christmas Day. Well, I mean, they are an Italian restaurant. How, you know, how much are you going to be able to vary the menu? I understand that. I'm just saying I'm surprised that they're not doing, like, something more festive that can carry on the whole season. Right, like running that from Thanksgiving to Christmas or to New Year's or something. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on and see if anything's jumping out at resorts before we get into the parks itself. Okay, um... Most of this looks pretty standard. Um, it's it's much of the same. It's a lot of cupcakes. It's pastries. It's milkshakes. You know, it's kind of... A lot of, of dome cakes. Yeah. Uh, one thing I have been seeing a lot, though, that seems like it's going to be the new trendy treat because it's 
popping up uh, in pictures at the parks, and now I'm seeing it on this list at the resorts as well. Um, these pops. I'm not sure if they're all going to be brownies. The one that I'm looking at is at Gasparilla at the Grand Floridian. It is a peppermint brownie pop, which is a brownie filled with house-made peppermint patty and dipped in white chocolate. So this is what I've been seeing a lot of lately because uh, I believe they're doing them in the parks as well, but they're switching out the colors, they're switching out the fillings. Um, and I think some of them have mousse in there too. Um, so I can see this being a pretty big hit, especially because it's a good grab and go treat. Like a lot of these, the cookies, the cupcakes, they tend to get very messy because the fillings are so rich. This I feel like is going to be a good on the go snack. All right, let's move on to parks quickly here, starting with Hollywood studios. It seems like they are really just having the same handful of things that are popping up in multiple locations. And it seems like their big thing at Hollywood Studios, at least, is that they're very much leaning into the frozen hot cocoa because that's kind of what we're seeing pop up over and over again in each of their locations. See, if anything, I feel like Hollywood Studios doesn't need to have a lot of heavy hitters because Jollywood is going to be where it's at as far as the treats go. Yeah, that's fair. That makes that's sense. That's not to say that you should, you know, deny your guests that are not paying for the ticketed event some cool treats, but I can see where if their holiday menu feels a little lackluster, it's probably because they put everything they had into the Jollywood event. Although... We we do need to try this red velvet whoopie pie. We have it. That yet. looks good. It's amazing. Yeah, that looks good. Animal Kingdom, they are rolling out three treats. That's all Animal Kingdom got. Animal Kingdom got three treats. Uh, the Mickey Holiday Moose Dome, the Merry Menagerie Cupcake, and the Peppermint Cream Cheese Moose. That is that is all they are rolling out at Animal Kingdom. That peppermint cream cheese mousse looks amazing, and that's at Satuli, which can do no wrong. Um, I love that they are incorporating the magical menagerie, though, into the treats, because I feel like that's become such a holiday favorite for everyone. As soon as you're walking into Animal Kingdom, you're greeted by the puppeteers. Um, so I love that that's, you know, become such a popular thing with guests, that they're honoring that in the dessert. Yeah. Uh, Magic Kingdom Cheshire Cafe has the peppermint eclair. They, they're they always good for a grab-and-go snack. Other than that, uh, Columbia Harbor House is going to have the maple mustard-glazed salmon with green beans and rice. And then that's it for Magic Kingdom. But similarly to Hollywood Studios, they roll so much out for uh, the Very Merry Christmas Party that I get it. Epcot does Festival of the Holidays, so they didn't even mention Epcot here, which makes sense. I mean, how how much else could you do? Right. And uh, some of the novelties coming to the park, the Mickey Toy Soldier Popcorn Bucket. I might have to put that on my list this year. The Donald Duck Christmas Tree Sipper. Everybody's going crazy for over this Christmas tree sipper. Um, and then they're bringing back the rotating music box. This year it's gold. Last year it was red. And we were able to get one at Animal Kingdom uh, last year. Uh, it really does make for a great decoration once you're done with your popcorn. It's really pretty. Yeah, I mean, they're not cheap. Don't fight but... each other for it, but if you can get one, it's worth the price tag. Yeah, 
they're not cheap, but they're worth it uh, for sure. So definitely exciting times coming up at the Disney parks with the holidays starting. We are interested in knowing what you have to say about all of the holiday offerings coming to Walt Disney World this year. You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can shoot us an email, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all for, uh, so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. We just gave you all of that social media. Don't forget to follow us on Threads and TikTok as well. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.